Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. to this passage of Scripture, and I know I've given this introduction many times uh, over the last several weeks, but we uh, come to Acts chapter number 27, and in Acts chapter number 27, we find that the Apostle Paul has been arrested for uh, being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been put on a uh, prison ship, and he has been uh, put on this ship headed toward Rome. And to, and to appeal before Caesar. The Bible said in chapter number 26 and verse number 32, uh, the verse right before our chapter begins, that that was where he was headed. Uh, the Bible said that King Agrippa, uh, that then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man, speaking about Paul, might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. He is going to appeal to the Caesar, to the king, to the authoritative leader of Rome. And he is on the journey there, no doubt with other prisoners that have boarded this ship. They are under the leadership. They are under the authority, uh, according to verse number one, of a centurion uh, by the name of Julius that belongs to Augustus' band. We see that there in verse number one. In verse number two through verse number eight, we find the description of a typical day at sea uh, on one of these prison ships. They go from one place to another. And then as we see the, the Bible mentions uh, in beginning in uh, verse, uh, verse number seven, uh, that there was an issue that they had run into. Uh, that the, the Bible begins really in verse number four and talks about the winds being contrary to the ship. The Bible said in verse 4, And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And so we see that in verse number 4 and verse number 7. says that the wind was not suffering them. And so they were in the middle of uh, great winds and a storm. Uh, but then in verse number 9, the Bible says that they had come to a place in their journey where traveling, where sailing was dangerous. The Bible said there in verse number 9, and when we much time was spent, they tried, they, they spent their time trying to figure a way out, trying to find a way to, uh, trying to find a way to uh, fix the issue at hand, as by the way, many of us try to do in our own lives, amen. Uh, we will spend time after time, and great amount of time, trying to fix our own problems, amen. And so we find that. Uh, that much time was spent, sailing was dangerous. And Paul, because of that, God's man, God's preacher, the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle Paul comes to them uh, as he is on this ship and he begins to speak to them the things that God had put in his heart to declare unto them. The Bible says that it was an admonishment of the apostle Paul, meaning that it was, it was his advice for them to chart a different course. It was a firm reprimand from God's man uh, in order uh, to get them to go the right way. And by the way, let me just say this. You ought to be thankful for the admonitions in your life. Yeah. Right. Right. Amen. Yeah. You ought to be thankful for those that come to you and they'll give you a firm reprimand every now and again, especially when they do it to try to make sure that where they know God's will is and they know God's path is and they say, I see you're off course. I see your decisions are not where they need to be. Can I just remind you that this is the right way. This is God's way. This is what God says. You ought not to turn your nose up at that. You ought not to get mad about that. You ought to be thankful that somebody loves you enough to tell you what God has already declared. If you are not willing to hear yourself and you're not willing to apply it yourself, thank God for the people that remind us to go God's way. Amen. Amen. And so don't be upset at the admonitions. Don't be upset at the reprimands. Amen. And by the way, there will probably be some times, whether in the pulpit or personally, I as a pastor come to you and will reprimand you about some things. Amen. If that happens, don't get mad. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. 
one of these deacons come to you, one of the, the deacons that is assigned to your family, and they come to you and, I, and say, I see this in your life. Can I help you pray about this? Or can I show you what the Bible says about this situation in your life? And you receive it as a reprimand? Don't be upset about it. Be thankful for it. Amen. Amen. So Paul admonished them. Paul, and by the way, there's many ways of doing that. Amen. There's sometimes in, in this church in the last year and a half, I've been here, some of y'all have received reprimands from me and didn't even know it. More of you than you think. I was looking at some people smiling that I did it and you don't even know. Amen. Amen. But if you ever come to the place where you know, amen, I did it because I love you. Amen. Paul did it because he loved them. Paul did it because he did not want to see them destroyed. He goes on to say that in verse number 10. And he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of lading and ship, but also of our lives. Amen. And so we saw how he gave them that admonition. We see how verse number 11 says they did not listen to the words of the apostle Paul. He said, stay put and stay safe. They say, we are going to uh, go our way based on our sight rather than on faith. And we are going, uh, we're going to chart our own course. We're going on our own voyage after our own understanding. And the Bible said in verse number 13 that they loosed thence, then sailed close by Crete. That was them disobeying the word of the God, the word of God sent to them through the man of God. And because of that, verse 14 said, they entered into probably the greatest storm of their life. The tempestuous wind called Jerocladon. And so we saw how they did that voluntarily. How they went on, and the Bible calls it a voyage in verse number 10. They went on this voyage voluntarily. They chose to walk away from the will and the plan of God. And by doing so, we find found out some things about the voyage that they went on out of the will of God. We saw that it was a deceptive voyage. They did not go on faith. They went upon sight and what they heard from man instead of what they heard from God. It was a deceptive voyage. It was a dangerous voyage. The Bible said that sailing was now dangerous. It was a damaging voyage. The Bible said that the voyage would be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lady in the ship, but also of our lives. We saw several weeks ago in verse 15 and 17 that it was a driven voyage where they got so caught up in their sin and they got so caught up in walking out of the will of God, they took their hands off and said, I'm going to give the course of my life to the winds, to the storm, and to uh, wherever, wherever my sin and sinful flesh wants to take my life. It was a driven voyage. The Bible said that in verse number 15 that they let, the, they let that ship drive, uh, personified with the pronoun her, that we let her drive, verse 15. And the Bible said that they were driven in verse number 17. Amen. Verse 15, they let her drive. Verse 17, they were driven. They took their hands off. Amen. And then the last time we were in this text, we saw that it was a discouraging voyage. Because verse number 20 said that they got to the place so far out in that sea, so far out in that storm. The Bible said, and when neither sun nor stars appeared, in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It was discouraging. They didn't see the sun. They couldn't see the stars. There was no light inside. And so they were discouraged by that. And no doubt, many times, if you go on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God and you choose your way versus God's way, you are deceived. There is danger involved. There uh, is a, a driven uh, part involved. Amen. There's damage that's going to be involved. But I promise you this, you will be discouraged. Amen. I mentioned it in praying earlier about how and I, and I can't. I just can't get this off my mind recently for whatever reason. All of the people that uh, want to serve, want to serve their flesh and want to obey their sinful nature, instead of contending against that and fighting against that and, and trying their best to look for the exit signs that God gives in moments of temptation, they'll say, "I'm going to go with my flesh. I'm going to do what I want. This is easier for me to do. God's way is too much. God's way is too hard. I'm going to make." this voluntary voyage out of the will of God and then some months later after they passed the, after they passed the deception, after they passed the danger of it, after they passed the damages of it, after they passed the point in time where they say I'm going to take my hands off, they begin to survey their life 
and see where it is. And they say, there's no hope. There's been no light for a long time. There's been no ray of sunshine spiritually in my life in a long time. And they get very discouraged. Most of the discouragements in our churches have nothing to do with, with spirituality, but rather sinfulness. I don't find very many people that are getting discouraged in our day because they're just trying so hard for God they got discouraged. It's because their sin nature gets in the way. Their pride gets in the way. Their expectations get in the way. They're not giving God their best. And because of that, they're ashamed of themselves. They know what's right. They know what the Bible says. But they're ashamed of their conduct. And the devil uses that to bring great discouragement upon them. Amen. So we saw that. Amen. I can continue preaching on that till Jesus comes. Because I believe that's one of, the most, one, of the, one of the most prevalent things we see in our day. It's discouragement and depression. And most of it, some of it does have to, it is a health condition. But most of it can be solved by just giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And giving, if you are saved, giving all, selling out to God. Giving the best years of your life to God. Saying, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you plan for my life, this life is yours. My breath is yours. My energy is yours. Whatever you want to do with me, you do it. I promise you there will be joy when you do that. It may be hard. It may not be something that, that, that is, it, it is appealing to your flesh, but I promise it will bring great joy. And we saw that the last time we were in this text. This morning, I want to just, and we might not get further than verse 21 and, and the verse, through verse number 26 this morning, but I want us just to mention in these passages, not only was it a deceptive voyage and a dangerous voyage and a, a damaging voyage and a driven voyage and a discouraging voyage, but we find this morning it was also a difficult voyage. Look at verse number 21 through 26 this morning. We'll walk through these verses, but I want to notice verse 21 to begin with this morning. But before we look at the verse, let me say this. When you go, when you go out and sin on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God, just like they did here in our text, you will enter great difficulty. Don't think as a Christian you can walk away from God and it all be peaches and cream. Right. Amen. Right. Don't, don't think that you can walk away from God and there's not going to be difficulty along the way. Here's the reason why it's so difficult. It's because a Christian is not designed to walk away from God. A Christian is not designed for spiritual distance from their Savior. It is right for us to love God. It is right for us as believers to be close to God. It is right for us to spend time communing with Him through His Word. Spend time communing with Him in prayer. It is not the nature of a child of God for you and I to do unspiritual things. When, when a father... And a mother have a child, they conceive a child, and God blesses them with a child. You cannot help but pass along your traits to your children. I, I knew in my mind that was the truth. I knew scripturally that was the truth. I knew scientifically that was the truth. I know what DNA is. Amen. I know uh, we had to study genetics in high school. Amen. I understand all of that. I knew all of that. But until that boy back there came along, I, I understood it, but I didn't understand it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You, you want to talk about passing on traits? I see myself and that kid every single day, and it seems like the traits that I passed on are the ones that God... <clears throat> that God has given me victory over, but he hasn't learned how to get victory over things yet. Did you know that even your bad characteristics get passed along in the gene pool? Amen. Amen. And the things that I spent years trying to get help with from God, I see in that kid every single day. Amen. And if it works for me and him, and it works for you and your children, and you pass those genetic characteristics of along, why in the world should you and I expect our relationship with God when we get saved, we are, we are uh, reborn, we are born again. And I believe with all of my heart, when we get saved by the grace of God, there is, there is an interaction that takes place. And in our soul and in our spirit, God births us again by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God that births us gives us the characteristics of our Father. It is God's will for us to bear His characteristics. 
It is God's will for us to do things that please Him and to be obedient to Him. If Jesus Christ, the Bible said that Jesus, well, in the book of Philippians, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When you and I got saved, that level of obedience, characteristic-wise, was passed down to us. That trait of God, that obedience was passed down to us. And for you to do what, what, what these men did here in Acts 27 as a believer is to go against the very nature that God put in you when He saved you and He gave you a new nature and He birthed you again and you were regenerated and you were made a new creature in Christ. When that spiritual birth took place, for us to act this way is to go against the nature that God put in us. Right, right. Going, choosing to go against that spiritual nature brings about the difficulty. Yes. Why is it hard yes. to walk away from God as a Christian? Why should it be hard? And there's people sometimes that makes me wonder. But why should it be hard for a Christian to walk away from God's house, to walk away their Bible down and never determine to pick it up again? Why is it hard uh, for a believer when they know what's right to pick up a bottle and begin to drink again, to pick up uh, to pick up drugs and begin uh, to do that again where they once had a vice and they pick it up again? I know of a man of God in my life that did that. He went out, he went out in the world, preached, preached with the power of God, probably the most anointed young evangelist I've ever known. He went back to drugs that God saved him from. He's in the grave today, but that period of time before God took him, and I believe God did that before God called him home so he wouldn't be an embarrassment to the body of Christ anymore. I believe with all of my heart, and I saw it in his life, and I saw him distance himself from me, distance himself from me and from his friends and from every spiritual person in his life because he was discouraged. He was disappointed in himself, and it was difficult to live that way. Why would he distance himself from his friends? Because if they're spiritual, it would be hard for them to, him to look at them. Knowing where he used to be, and where he should be, where he's not. There's people, there's people in this congregation that do not want me knowing what you do because of the sin that's in your life. That do not speak to me freely because you're afraid you're going to offer up the information. Because you're trying to hide things. Can I just encourage you this this morning? Instead of getting real good at hiding things from your preacher and hiding things from your family that love God and hiding things from your spouse and hiding things from your parents and hiding things from your what, co-workers and trying to put on a fake Christianity and trying to be one way at church and another way on the job and trying to keep up with the personas, trying to keep up with your box of masks that you have and I'm going to put on this mask on Sunday uh, because this is just Lawson on Sunday and I'm going to put this mask on on Monday because this is who I am or I'm this group and that group. Can I tell you this? Doing that's exhausting. It's difficult to live that way. Why? Because if you're saved, you were never designed to live that way. God wants closeness from you. God wants genuineness from you. God wants a realness about your relationship with Him. If you can cut it off today and cut it on tomorrow, I have serious doubts about whether you know the Lord or not. If it's not difficult. If you're not on, if, if walking away from God is, is just smooth sailing and there's no contrary winds and there's no tempestuous winds coming against you and you're not, you're not, uh, it, it's not difficult for you. There's, there's nothing, no opposition in your way from just walking clear away from God. Uh, I would tell you just as Peter did in God's word, he said to make your calling and election sure. Because for a believer... There is a way that seemeth right unto man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a, there's a way that seems right to man and to, and to an unregenerate man. And the only thing that makes sense to a person who has been saved is the things that God declares in His Word. If you are spiritual, you delight in spiritual things. If you are saved, you are to delight in the things of God. If you're, if, you're, if you're saved and you are living in a way that is displeasing to God, it ought to be the most difficult time you've ever lived. 
Amen. I'm the, the, the most discouraged I ever, I ever have been in my Christian life that I ever am in my Christian life is where I, when I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I told y'all the other Wednesday night about, about we were preaching on contending. I was preaching. I'm, y'all weren't preaching. I mean, y'all listen to preaching. But I was preaching on contending for the faith. I was talking about how the Bible, the Bible says in the book of Jude we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly deals with diligence. And one of the things that the Bible uses the word diligent in is that we are to be diligent about making our calling and election sure. We are to be diligent about making sure that we're saved and we have assurance of salvation. And I mentioned to you that the, that the way that God gave me the assurance of my salvation was in the days where I was distant from Him and I felt the chastening hand of God. Because God does not chasten. He does not punish the devil's youngins. He only punishes his own. When I felt God punishing me, God let me know without reservation, doing that because you're mine, you're my son, and I'm not going to let you get, I'm not going to let you get far without a chastening. This is a picture of the difficulty that comes into play for a believer to walk away from God. I'm not saying that everybody on this boat was a believer. But this real life situation, this real life account of the history in the book of Acts, the only historical book that we have in terms of a book of history in the New Testament, this was given as a historical record of Paul's ministry. But although the Bible always has one interpretation, it has a multitude of applications. This passes the interpretation of Acts 27 would literally fall within the realms of Paul lived, he was arrested, he was put on a boat with a bunch of other prisoners, they went into a storm. There, there is really, uh, there, there is really, uh, this is a history, this is really not uh, all of that spiritual in the wording of it. But the application gives us great spiritual lessons. Because the spiritual lesson comes in the fact they didn't listen to God. You would be surprised how many people in our churches come in Sunday morning, Sunday night, make some, even come in Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. They come in for revivals. They come in for special meetings like singings. They come in for different things, anything the church puts on. They're faithful, but they're not interested in listening to God. They're not interested in obeying the Lord. They'll hear the preaching. They're not. That's good for those people. I don't see a need in my life for it. I, I, we, you see that all the time in our churches. And, and I believe one of the reasons why we see that on such a massive scale in our churches is because as preachers and as Sunday school teachers and as, as Christians that come in and declare the Word of God to people, I think that many times us as pastors are doing our best trying to, trying to raise sheep when really we're preaching to a bunch of goats. You'd be surprised how many people... And our churches claim the name of Christ, but know nothing about conviction. They know nothing about salvation. At, one, at my last church, one of the things that I did, uh, the church was in a was in a odd situation when I got there, in the fact that there was no record of who was a member and who wasn't. They had there was no there was no records, no minutes, no anything. It, it, everything had just kind of it just existed by what the church accepted. And so their attitude was, is if you attend church here and you give tithe, you're a member here. Whether you have chosen to do that, whether you've agreed to any standard of doctrine, whether you have done anything like that, whether the church has received you into their fellowship or not, that's just the way that it was. So one of the things that I began to do, and I didn't really get it finished before we left, but what I began to do because of that situation was I called every family into my office as the pastor. And I asked them, Give me your testimony of salvation and tell me about when you were scripturally baptized. Tell me if you agree with the doctrine of this church. That way, in a service, we could actually have folks join the right way. Amen. Join biblically. Yeah. Nor if you do that, I've got to know you've been saved. Right. That's a good requirement for being a churchman. You've been saved. Amen. You've got to be scripturally baptized to join the church. And you've got to agree with the doctrine of this church in order to be a member here. 
And so I, I began to deal with them about that and to talk to them about that. And people who have been attending that church for many, many years, I'm talking about a couple of decades, you would be surprised, or close to two decades, you would be surprised the testimonies I got. The flimsiest of an emotional decision that, that would be very hard to see conviction, to see the Spirit of God drawing, and any belief upon Jesus Christ as Savior. I heard things like, well, I, I, had, a, I had a feeling on a Sunday morning, and I felt like I needed to go to the altar. And when I got up, I got up from the altar, I didn't want to go to the bar anymore. Is that salvation? It could be. He would have to leave a lot of details out. And he did leave a lot of details out if he really did place his faith in Christ. But based upon that, that was, that was, I was not confident in that gentleman's salvation. That is rampant in our churches. Salvation is not meant to be upon a feeling. Salvation is not because you got goosebumps. It's not because you did a lot of good things. It's not because when grandma and granddaddy or mom and daddy joined the church and they took you to that church and you've been, uh, you've been a member of that church your whole life. That's not salvation. Right. Salvation is, is realizing that Jesus Christ died for your sins because you were a sinner and you were on your way to hell. Jesus went to the cross to pay the sin debt that you were carrying and that was going to take you to hell. And you place your faith in what Jesus Christ did as your substitute upon the old rugged cross, realizing that Jesus' death upon Calvary was taking your hell so you wouldn't have to, and accepting that gift by faith and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. Right. Amen. Amen. You'd be surprised how many people in our churches have no real testimony of salvation. You would be surprised how many people come and they won't... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and they want spiritual help. But they don't, they don't know anything about the Bible. And they have no testimony of even beginning to walk spiritually. If you're not saved, you're not going to have a spiritual life. If you've never been born again, don't expect to have a spiritual life. Amen. And you, you don't need spiritual counseling on how to handle something biblically until you've been born again. Amen. Don't try to be spiritual until you've been saved. Because you'll never be able to do it. However, when you are saved... It's not, are you trying to be spiritual? It is God demands spirituality. And you are to do your best to meet the standard that God has set in His Word. Yes. If you don't, don't be surprised when, when your voyage is very difficult to sail in. Notice this, verse 21. I've got to hurry. <clears throat> the Bible says, but after long abstinence, the, this, the verse 20 talked about that discouraging time. Paul broke away. He spent a long time away from them, probably in prayer, seeking the mind of God. The Bible doesn't say that, but I, I believe it very well could be implied. The Bible said, the, after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Imagine this with me this morning. Imagine uh, that you have, uh, you have done exactly what I've been preaching against. You have chosen to walk away from God. You said, I'm done with this Bible. I'm not going to read it. I'm not, I'm not going to live by it. You've walked away. And by the way, you can be in church and in your heart have walked away from God. You can be here this morning and have walked away from God. Right. Amen. You have a Bible open in your lap, but you, you, you're not concerned in your heart with anything on the page. You're here wishing that I would hurry up and be done and so you can get to the house or get to lunch somewhere and you're not planning on coming back tonight. You're not planning on coming back Wednesday night. And both of those, by the way, are signs of a spiritual distance. Amen. If you're, if you're not in church and you can be, chances are you've walked away from God. If you're not at special meetings and you can be, it's because you've walked away from God. If you're not hindered by health, if you're not hindered by your job, and you're not gonna, you can't work around your schedule at your job to be here. If, if you're if you're if you're just sitting at home and you're not concerned with coming, you're spiritually distant. I'm not even gonna say it could be. I'm saying it is the fact. That's right. Amen. That's right. 
If you never read, if you can read, and you have a Bible, and you never read that Bible, it's not that you might be on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God. It's not that you might be distant from God. You are distant from God, and you are backslid this morning. That, that's, that's, just, that's just what the, that's what the Bible says. Amen. If you've ever been closer to God any time in your past than you are today, you are backslid. Amen. If God has given you anything and you refuse to honor Him with it, you are distant from God. You're backslid. If you're, and you can imagine these men. God has spoken to them. God has clearly told them what His will is. They have turned their nose at the truth of God. They've chosen to go their own way. They have chosen to walk away and to go out into that sea without God's approval. They have come to this place. And now, <coughs> y'all forgive me this morning. <coughs> After long abstinence, Paul comes to them and says these words. He says, you should not. He said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. In other words, I know that's good King James language, and I think that's pretty plain to be understood, but in layman's terms, here's what Paul's saying. Y'all should have listened to me. Right. Think about where they are. They are not on their way to Eurachlodon. They're in the middle of it. They're not on their way into heavy winds, dangerous winds, winds that are going with that. As far as they know, their lives are over. The previous verse from where we are right now said they had no hope anymore. It is, it is pitch dark. There is, there is no light. There is, they don't even think the sun will ever rise again. They don't think that the stars will ever come out again. There's no hope as far as their mind's concerned. And then Paul comes out in verse 21 and you would think that he's making fun of them. You would think that he's coming down on them. And in this politically correct age we live in, everybody would say, oh well don't judge me Paul. Uh, don't, uh, don't, don't talk down to me. I'm worth more than that. Don't talk to me like I'm some kind of fool. Can I just say this? If God's as good as he is and he's as wonderful as he is and you claim to know him and you don't walk far away from God, Paul didn't have to tell you a fool but call you a fool and this preacher doesn't have to call you a fool but you are one. How do we walk away from God? From the God of this universe and think we know better than he does. Paul comes to them in that moment where they have made the best far as they're concerned at that moment. That was the most boneheaded decision they had ever made. That was the worst decision they ever made. Look at what I'm having to go through now because I didn't listen to that preacher. Because I didn't listen to the God that he was speaking for. He says, you should have hearkened unto me. Can you imagine how difficult that would be to hear? Amen. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but you know what's more difficult than hearing somebody when you're in a mess like that? Saying, no, if you would have listened to me, it wouldn't happen. The thing that's worse than that, that's pretty bad. Can I get a witness on that this morning? Anybody ever been there? I've been there. Amen. It may not have been in church. It may not be on the Bible. But maybe some, maybe some of you in here were a teenager at one point in time, or you are now, and mom and daddy came to you. You know, if you would have listened to me, that would, all that wouldn't happen. Amen. Uh, husbands, there might be some of you heard that from your wives this week. Amen. Amen. I'll be honest, I'm the preacher. I'll be honest, I hear that probably on a weekly basis from my wife. Amen. No, I told you that last week. If you'd have just listened, you'd been all right. You'd saved a whole lot of time. Amen. Amen. Any of you husbands got wives like my wife? Amen. I thank God for it. I wouldn't know whether that's coming or going without some of that sometimes. Amen. But oh, he came to them and said, you guys should listen to me. You know what's harder than that? is the fact that they're hearing it and they know it. What, worse than just hearing it and, and, and having somebody tell you that is the whole time you're hearing them say that, you don't even have a response because you know, yeah, I should have listened. That makes it even more difficult. It's not, it's, not the fact that they, it's not the fact that they're lying. It's the fact that they're telling the truth. 
And you know you are where you are because of your own decision and because of the voluntary choice that you made. And to hear that and to know that it's true, that is difficult. And I believe that, man, I'm telling you, that is the definition of difficult when it comes to making decisions like that. Amen. It's difficult not only to hear you are wrong, but to know that you're wrong when you have somebody tell you how wrong that you are. Amen. And that happens in our churches all the time. Let me say this. I do not believe that Paul is approaching them with an I told you so spirit or attitude. When Paul says you should have hearkened unto me, he is not saying that because he is trying, he's, because he is, he is pumping himself up or he is beating his breast and he's saying, look at me and how intelligent I am and how spiritual I am. He's not coming to them and looking down upon them or turning his nose up at them. No, Paul is just stating a fact. Y'all should have hearkened to me. You, you should have hearkened unto me. He doesn't come to them with an I told you so spirit, even though he did tell them so. Amen. I think as we look at this passage of Scripture, you say, Preacher, what's the spiritual lesson of this? I think the spiritual lesson of this is, is God is letting us know that if we walk away from God, that we will encounter a moment. It may be 10 years down the road of walking away from God. Or it could just be 10 minutes of walking away from God. But there will be some time in your life, and with all of these things we've looked at, uh, they're, they're all in a sequence. They're in an order. It's a It's a pattern. You go, you start at deception, and you'll work your way to this difficult journey. And when you hear there's going to be a time that I believe with all of my heart that for anyone that walks out of the will of God, there will be a time in their life where they will have to be faced with the difficulty of the decision that they've made, and they may have thought they were doing right to start with based on what they saw with their own mind, but over the course of time, and over the course of painful events, and over the course of, uh, the course of damaging events and, and discouraging events, they'll realize, I didn't do right. Walking away from God was not the best decision to make. It was the worst decision I've ever made. It would, it would be better to walk away from everything in your life than to walk away from God. It would be better to walk away from your job than to walk away from God. It would be better to walk away from that nice fancy car you have than to walk away from God. It would be better to walk away from that nice house that you have than to walk away from God. It would be better to walk from all of life's pleasures and luxuries than to walk away from God. And by the way, sometimes serving God may require that of you. Amen. God says here that when in the process of this group walking away from Him and ignoring His warning and ignoring His word, they realize through difficulty that they were wrong. And Paul comes to them and says, you should have listened. That lets me know that some of you this morning that have walked away from God, there very well may be a day where you enter into this difficult void where I'll be in that office back there with you sitting across the desk for me and you will be sitting there with your hand, head in your hands and say, Preacher, I don't know where I went wrong. I know that this was wrong. I knew this was wrong when I started. But I've went through all of this and God has done things in my life that I'll never be able to get back. It hurts. It's difficult. You'll be sitting across that desk and you'll let me know if I could do anything over. It would be that. If I could get a do-over of any event in my life, it would be that. I'm telling you this, and I'm telling you, God broke me with this as I was studying this and looking over this this week in the, this difficult voyage. It lets me know just as these individuals heard from Paul that you should have hearkened unto me, and you should have not, uh, you should have not, uh, you should not have loosed from Crete. You should not have taken that first initial action to walk away from uh, the plan of God. By the way, loosing from Crete that was their first step. That was their first act of rebellion. He brings their attention to it. He says you never should have even started just, just that. Just that little motion of loosing yourself from where you were in an act of rebellion thinking that you had more, uh, you, had, you had a greater plan than God and you knew more than God. He said you should not have done that and there very well may be a day. I believe this, this, this verse guarantees that if you'll go on a voluntary voyage out of the will of God, there will be 
a day where you will come to me. You'll sit across that desk and you will look at me. Uh, and when you have, when you have uh, walked away from the will of God and you've lost control of your life and you've taken your hands off and let it, let it drive itself and it has drug you to a place where you see no hope and no help for you, that I will look across the desk with tears pouring down my face, holding your hands and saying, I told you that this would happen. I did my best to preach this to you. I did my best to tell you on those Sunday mornings and I didn't get in a hurry. I took my time to try to get across the, the, the power of this text and you should have listened. I won't look at you with an I told you so spirit. But reality is you've been told. I have taken several weeks to tell you the truth. And I wouldn't give a dime for a preacher that wouldn't tell you the truth. Amen. 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 A preacher that don't tell you the truth is a hireling. Amen goes right there. I've spent all these weeks trying to tell you the truth so that meeting never happens. To where you're crying, you're broken, I'm crying, and I'm broken. You can ask my wife that I'm one of the most emotional men she's ever known. When it, when it comes to spiritual things, I'm telling you, I love this congregation enough to never in my wildest dreams ever want anything to happen to you. I don't want any kind of spiritual heartache to ever come into your life. I, I don't want physical heartache to come. It breaks my heart when people have loved ones die. It breaks my heart to see you have children out of the will of God and you're broken about those things. But nothing breaks my heart more than to see someone that knows God and loves God and in a church like this has been under the preaching of the word of God for 30 years by this by myself or my brother Caldwell and you've heard these words and you've heard preaching and you've been around church and you have felt the presence of God in this building you've seen singers get up with a touch of God on their life and sing praises to God you've heard you've been in revival meetings and Sunday services and Wednesday services where God was all over the place and help was available in this place and God was stirring and God was moving. And you are you are no longer innocent. Right. Say, so, I didn't know. Right. I, I didn't I didn't have I didn't have the ability to get help. Too many people, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, special meetings, Sunday school, there's always a time to get help. There's always a way to get help. If God's at home in his house and he said he would be he said he would be there, if the two or three were gathered in his name, he would be in the midst. If God's here and he is and he's promised to be here, there's help for you. That meeting never has to take place. You never have to get to the point of being in a difficult voice. You can get right with God today. You can say, God, I'm sorry today. And I want to make my way back to where I was. And I want to make my way back to where you would have for me to be. You can do that today. God's power is real enough to make it happen. Think about this. I'm going to mention a couple of things. I'm going to be done real quick. Real quick. Let me give you three reasons why. I'm going to just state these and we'll be done. What made this difficult voice so, so difficult? The first one, I've already mentioned this, is knowing that you never should have went on that voyage, that you should have listened to God's voice of warning. That's verse 21. It's difficult because of what you know. You knew you shouldn't have went, and you knew that you should have listened to God's voice of warning. That's number one. Number two, not only knowing, but I say number two, hearing. Not only is it this voyage difficult because you know that you never should have went on the voyage, and you should have listened to the voice of warning, verse 21. But I believe verse 22 through verse 26 teaches us that it is difficult on this voyage because you have heard. Look at, look at what they hear. This, this passage of Scripture we're looking at is Paul speaking to them. They're hearing some things. They've heard that God is gracious enough and even in their sin has been gracious enough to spare their life. But he is too holy for there not to be any consequences. You say, preacher, where do you see that? Look at verse number 22. Paul says, and now I exhort you. After he told them he should not have done that. After what they knew, they already knew it. And Paul made sure they knew it. He told them what they needed to know. He said, sirs, you should not have hearkened unto me. That's verse where you should have hearkened unto me. Uh, verse 21, verse 22 says this. 
And now I exhort you. Paul here says that he's encouraging them. While I was studying for this message, God used that verse there to speak to my heart about another message. I'm going to wait a while to preach it. We've been in Acts 27 for a while. But on encouragement and discouragement, they're discouraged. Paul's exhorting them. He's lifting them up. He's encouraging them. The Bible says, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Why do they need to be of good cheer? Here's what he said. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. You remember earlier on in the passage, verse number 10, Paul said that he perceived, and I believe this perception is from God, he said, I perceive that this voyage will be, will certainly, most definitely be, with hurt and much damage, not only of the landing and ship, but he says this, but also of our lives. Paul said that I perceive it, very, that it is very possible that we'll even lose our lives because of this decision. And you would be surprised how many people do lose their life for one decision, walking away from God. I just told you about an event where I know that happened. Lost his life because it walked away from God. Notice this. Paul said, it's very possible. I perceive it from God. This could take our lives. Then he comes to them. That has already been the word. That's the word they that, that was the word that they sinned against. They didn't they, they said we're going to go our way even despite with the threat of losing our life. Uh, we don't believe they, they were they did they disbelieved the word from God so much they were literally willing to gamble their life on it. Despite that, God comes to Paul and tells him. No man's going to lose their life on this ship. So they're hearing from God's man after their sin, after their disobedience, after they've walked away from God, after they have risked their life, put their life on the line because they love their sin so much. The God of heaven they sinned against. They're hearing that he was still too gracious to let them lose their life. You want, to talk about a, you want to talk about a difficult voyage? Look, when, 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 you, when, when you are out, uh, when you're out of sorts with God and you're out of the will of God, one of the most difficult things to hear is about how good God is. Why? Because a Christian knows how good God is. It plagues our conscience to know how bad we've been to make that decision that we've made, and He has never changed. His holiness has never changed. His goodness has never changed. His mercy has never changed. His graciousness has never changed. And the same God that was gracious before they sinned still, thank God, had enough grace and mercy to be gracious to them even after their rebellion and even after their sin. They were risking their life and Paul comes to them and they had to hear that God was gracious and He wasn't going to take their life. You've walked away from God. It would not. It, 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 it is not. It, it, it is probably harder to hear about the grace of God than the justice of God, because it would, in that moment, it would have been just for God to take their life. And I'm not sure if any of them, any of those men, I'm not sure if any of those men, uh, if, if if any of them would have objected. They probably would have understood. See, for you and I as people, we realize I've earned this. I gotta pay the consequences. That's 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 easy to understand. That's not difficult to hear. It may be knowing your life's gonna be ended, but at least at least you understand it. You've been wrong, and you've been horrible, and you've been dirty, and you've rebelled against God. To hear, to feel God loving on you and to know He's gracious and to know despite that He still wants something to do with you and He still loves you and He still comes at you with grace. That's difficult to hear in sin. Especially while you're still trying to hold on to your sin. God told them He was gracious enough to spare their life. But in verse 26, He was too holy to not let them have any consequences. God can be gracious and there still be consequences. Can I remind you what the Word of God says? Let me read this verse to you. The Bible says over in the book of Proverbs, verse, uh, chapter 
excuse me, Numbers chapter number 32 and verse number 23, here's what the Bible says. Be sure your sin will find you out. God can be gracious, but God cannot let sin go unpunished. There must be consequences for sin. What were the consequences here for these, for these men on the boat? And then we'll be done with this. Look at verse 26. He said, how be it? Despite the encouraging words that I have, despite the grace of God that I've just mentioned to you, despite the fact that God has sent me with a warning, or excuse me, sent me with a message telling you to fear not, verse 24, he says in verse 26, how be it? We must be cast upon certain islands. You remember when I told you several weeks ago that you would, if you choose to go far out in sin, talking about the damage of the voyage, you, you may be able to keep your sin, but you won't be able to keep what you have. God spared their life, but He wasn't going to spare their ship. Everything on the boat was going to be gone. They were going to be left with nothing. He said, we're going to be cast upon a certain island. And as you read through, after following verse 26, and as you read through down into, into the, the, the verse, verse 40, down through verse number 44, you find out that is exactly what happened. They came to shore, they, rode, they drove that ship on shore, and it was splintered into a million pieces. And the Bible, and, and, and I'll preach this, but the Bible says here was the end result. The Bible says, and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. They were able to keep their lives because God was gracious. But God had to punish them for their sin. Everything they brought on the boat with them was gone. Everything they brought into their sinful decision with them was gone. God had to punish them. He said, we must be cast upon a certain island. We'll pick that thought up next time we're in this text. But let me say this. This morning. Don't let what you don't don't let where you are, whether no matter where it is, you may you may have walked away from God. You may not be where you want to be. You may not be everywhere that you want to be with God. I said something to you this morning, and the Spirit of God said that's you. If that was you this morning, don't let where you are stop you from getting to where God wants you to be. Amen. God, the the message this morning is. We are sinful, but thank God, God is gracious. We make bad decisions and we make decisions based on our flesh to walk away from Him. But God is gracious and there is help for you in Jesus Christ. There is hope for you this morning. If you'll come to God, the God of grace by faith, ask Him to forgive you, ask Him to help you do what you need to do and make a voluntary voyage not out of the will of God, but turn that ship around, make a voluntary voyage back to the place and the will of God. I, I, I commission you to do that this morning. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.